how privileged are we to be able to be led into a place of worship and experiencing God like, like we just have. It's, um, it's fantastic to be with you guys. Um, those of you that don't know me, my name is Etienne. I'm one of the elders here at, at Every Nation. Linwood, this is my family. And it's really fantastic to be with, with all of you. Whenever I'm here at the, at the evening service, I really, I really feel at home. I really feel like this is my people, you know, like the same age. You know, same stages of our life and so on. Yeah, it's look this this um this look this dad bod and everything. It's because I've I've got a ministry amongst the middle aged, and um, you know if I if I look like I really do, you know they'll just reject me. And you know, this is all for the for the for the gospel. You know. It's, um, it's, uh... <laughs> Listen, guys, now I'm, I'm honest, it's, it's, it's fantastic to be with you. It's, it's fantastic to experience you. And I, and I want to just say tonight, you know, it's, I, I know I don't, I, don't get, I don't come here often, you know, once a month if, if things go well. But I'm just always so touched by just the, the faith that you guys have and the love that you have for one another. And um, I arrive very late for for. Uh, prayer, and um, what I called Jacques saying, he said, he was talking about, you know, what, what Paul said, and he, he spoke about preaching with words, but not only with words, but with deeds, and by signs and wonders, and as we stood here and we worshipped, I really just knew that what God was, was saying to you guys specifically, us as a church, as every nation, Linwood, but specifically to you guys, is, is that, that you have been preaching and you've been proclaiming the gospel through word and through deed. And what he's going to come and do through you guys is that he's going to extend your worship. And it is going to come to a place very soon where you're going to see more and more signs and wonders. And so that People will be saying of this church and of you guys specifically, and whenever you're walking and the ministry that you have and wherever you are serving, people will say, but they preach the word in words, in deeds, and by signs and wonders. And that's something that you can look forward to. And I want to encourage you to trust God, to, 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 to go and do it and see what He's going to do through you. So let's just thank God for that. And uh, just as a sign, let's just thank Him. That's going to happen. So, so I had, um, it's, it's so wonderful that Tabelo had this word about rest. It's so, it's so um, I think, applicable to where we are as a church and the family in this whole year. And last week, we, as a bunch of men got together, and that was what we spoke about. Um, our, Ilva and I and our kids were very fortunate. We had the, the privilege of this past holiday of going to Mozambique for two weeks. And what an amazing time. We had there as a as a family, and I haven't been there for more than a than a decade, and I can tell you it's it's an amazing country. It's um it's it really touched me in so many different ways. You know, I keep thinking about everything that we experienced there, um, but something interesting sort of happened and developed in me whilst we were driving there and as we were traveling and going around. And it's something that often happens to me whenever I do have the opportunity of tra traveling and going on holiday and so on. And that is that you, you, you suddenly become so aware of 
everything that's going on around you, and particularly because it's constantly changing as you travel, right? You see so many different things. It's so different from just the usual route that you take to work or to church or to school, to university or whatever it is that your daily routine is. And from the moment that we go through that border, and can I just say the Mozambican people are amazing and the officials are amazing and maybe you've heard negative things. I tell you, I don't know you know, what has been going on, but things have really changed, and they're so welcoming, and it's so positive as an experience. But what I would really want to talk to you about is, is what I, as we traveled, what really touched me, this changing landscape, because it's, on the one hand, it feels like you're in Africa and South Africa, there's a lot of it that's familiar, but at the same time, it's so different. And as you continue traveling north, specifically, you know, it, the, the landscape changes in such a way that it becomes something that, that I'm not used to at all. You know, there's more and more palm trees as you go north, and the architecture is so different from what, what we're used to. And there, there's so much beauty in the, in the country, you know, whether it's, you know, just the, the forest, whether it's the palm trees, whether it's the sea, whether it's the lakes and everything. And also the people are so beautiful, and the people are so friendly, and the people are so good. And there's just a simplicity to especially the rural life that they have, which sort of draws us, I think, you know, not only on a, on a holiday, but this rest that, that Cabello has been speaking about. And at the same time, but also being aware of this beauty that you encounter and all the positive things, at the same time, I'm confronted by the effect that we have had on nature and on each other and in this world. And I don't know if you ever go through the same thing, but whenever we travel somewhere, and it was the same now, it sort of strikes me how much we stuff up this world. What a mess we make of it. You know, you, you travel somewhere and you see where a beautiful forest was. It was just cut down to make space for us. Or it was cut down to, you know, plant more food for us. Or, you know, you've got a beautiful landscape, but you've got these electricity poles going all over the place, or, you know, dilapidated buildings. Or, and, you know, it often just makes me a little bit negative. It makes me feel like, you know, thinking back about, I wonder, I'm, I'm always looking and thinking, what, will, what would this land, landscape, what, what did it look like 100 years ago and 200 years ago? I wonder what it looked like when God created it before we came and we made such a mess of it. And I look at the people and I, and, I, and I wonder, I look at people and I think and I look at children and I think, but what are the chances of their lives being different to those of their fathers and mothers? And to be honest, it really starts making me feel a little bit negative, often very negative. It's this longing that I have in my heart for something to be different, for change, for a a, a change in our circumstances, and the, the, the Portuguese people, and, and I mean, a lot of, of Mozambique is Portuguese, they've got this, this word for longing that's saudade, and it, it, it's longing, but it's so much more than, than this, and it's best expressed by a, a style of music that the Portuguese has, it's called fado music, and it's where the singers sing about this, these harsh realities of life. They sing about the evil and the, the, 
the loss that we all experience as we go through life. And there's this, this mingling of experiencing this loss and this loneliness and this hopelessness and the harsh realities of life with this little idea of, but maybe there's some hope. Maybe things will, will change. And, and that confronts me, these ideas, because it makes me feel very often in this life, I have to be honest with you, I do feel that longing, and I do feel that, you know, there is a bit of hopelessness in this world. It, it doesn't always look like things are going to get better. It looks like the more time we have, the more we stuff it up. And I've even come to a place where I sometimes, you know, when you're sort of almost out of rebellion, I'll ask myself, you know, Jesus, you are all-powerful. You're amazing. You're loving. You're beautiful. You're a creator. You can change anything. You were here 2,000 years ago. When did, why didn't you sort this out? Why didn't you change this? Why didn't you remove all the evil and the hopelessness and the mess that we made out of this world? And, it, and it's okay for us to ask these questions of ourselves. Why didn't Jesus just remove all the evil and the disasters and the messes of this world, and the hopelessness of this world? Why didn't he just remove it when he was here 2,000 years ago? Have you thought about it? And the answer to that question is actually quite simple. Because if Jesus 2,000 years ago removed all the evil and hopelessness and disasters in this world, not one of us would be here tonight. Not one of us would be here tonight because we are the reason why this world and our lives are in the state that it is. It's not him, it's us. You may sit here and you may think, well, you know, I've got hope. It's not like I don't have any, any hope. Or you may think, well, how do, you, how, how do I ask myself? How do I determine whether I've got hope or not? And a lot of what I've been saying tells us whether I've got hope or not. Because you see, if you want to test whether you've got hope, I've got two very simple questions for you. The first one is, do you ever long back to when things were better? Do you ever think back to a time when things were better? Because that is a sign of hopelessness. Because if you've got hope, you do not look back at the past and wish for a time when things were better. Another question that you can ask yourself is, do you ever wish or do you ever think that you would be happy if only your circumstances were different? Because if you think that you will be happy whenever your circumstances or if your circumstances or if this person is in your life or if this person is out of your life or if you can be in this job or if you can be out of this job, if you can be in this university, you could be out of this university. If you could be in this church, if you could just leave this church. If you think that whether you are in this country or out of this country, if you only you could go to another place, you'd be happier than you are now. You'd be, have more hope than you have now. That's probably a sign of you being hopeless. You not having hope. And it's not a great place to be once we ask ourselves those questions. And I'm confronted with these ideas and, I'm, and we look towards the, the Word of God, even as Christians. And we find ourselves at a place where we don't always have hope. 
and uh, we may go through life, we may pretend a little, but if we're really honest with ourselves and we ask ourselves these questions, say it's not, it's not necessarily so. But we're not alone in it. It's not, it's not like we're the first generation that's confronted with this, with this problem. It's, it's been a problem since as long as man existed. And we've been, we've been in this series of 1 Thessalonians, um, we've been talking over the last four weeks, and tonight is sort of like the, the, the final installment. And this whole book, you know, Paul is writing about, about these three primary ideas of, of faith and of love and of hope. And he commends the church in, in the, the Thessalonians. He, he commends them for their faith and for their love. It's not like they, they're perfect in every way, neither are we. But there's one specific problem that he wants to address. And that addresses a problem in our life. And that is the one of hope. Because very much like we are, and we may be tonight in South Africa, in Pretoria, Whatever your circumstances are, wherever you are right now in this life, you may be feeling hopeless. People have been struggling for that forever. And the church in, in Thessalonica, they were struggling with that specifically. They were strong in faith and strong in love. And an amazing miracle had happened in that, in that city. Because you know that Paul came there and he planted a church. He proclaimed the gospel and people came to faith. And he had to leave within three weeks. Three weeks. I would love to have known what Paul did in three weeks to plant a church. And because of the circumstances and the disputes that then arose in that city, he had to leave. Because what they were doing is they couldn't find Paul. And so what they did was they took the people that had come to faith and they threw them in jail in order to lure Paul out, in order to force Paul to come out. And Paul realized that that. This, he was causing these new believers to go through this, and he knew he had to leave. And he had to leave after three weeks, after planting a church. And can you imagine, no telephones, you know, no communication, no internet like we have. He's going from city to city proclaiming the gospel, and he's left them, and he has no news about these people. He knows absolutely nothing about them. He knows that because of what he had done there, persecution arose, People were being thrown in jail. People were even killed. And so he started, and he, uh, and he was constantly wondering how they were. And then there's Timothy, and Timothy is at the church, and he eventually catches up with, with Paul. And the news that he gives Paul is that it's going so well with these new believers. And Paul is so relieved about the fact that he knows that he was there for three weeks. He knows some of them came to faith, but then they became persecuted. He had to leave. He felt bad about having to leave them there by themselves, wondering, you know, if they were, how they were doing. And then he gets the good news that it's actually going very well with them. And he writes this letter, and he tells them how happy he is to hear about how good they are and how much faith they have and how much love they have for one another. But then he also gets the news that they do not have hope, that they are feeling hopeless. You see, initially, these Thessalonians, they didn't mind the persecution. They didn't mind any of that because they had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they knew that Jesus' promise was that just like he left, 
he would return and he would come and fetch them and he would go and prepare a place for them. And that was enough for them. That was enough to bring them to a place where they could love one another and where they could have faith amongst themselves and where they could live the life that they've been called to, to live because they knew that Jesus was coming back. But what happened? Jesus didn't come. Didn't come. And the persecution went on and the persecution went on and their circumstances were terrible and wasn't going well with them. And these promises that they had heard, they started doubting and they started feeling hopeless. And what the worst thing was, what then happened to them is some of their fellow believers started dying. You see, that hope that they had had that they would see a risen Christ, a Christ returning to fetch them, that hope had gone away. And yet people are dying around them. Some of them because of the persecution, because of the fact they believed. These people were dying for being believers and followers of Jesus Christ, not being able to change their circumstances. And that made them feel really hopeless. And at the end of chapter 4, we read where Paul starts to tell them about the fact that they don't have to mourn those that had passed from life to death because that the promise for Jesus was of Jesus was that when he would return he would return and both the living and the dead would be joining him but then he goes further because it's not only enough for Paul to explain to them why they can have hope for those that have already died and that they don't have to mourn for them but he wants to say to them Thessalonians, church, I want to tell you that you, despite your circumstances, despite what's going on in your life, despite the fact that Jesus has not returned yet, you can have hope. And his promise is not necessarily that their circumstances are going to change. But he's promising them and he's telling them why they can have hope. So why don't you join me? We're going to read from 1 Thessalonians 5 from verse 1. And normally I'm in the habit of sort of reading through everything, and then we go back a little bit, and we backtrack, and we go through, and we break it up a bit, but it's, it's, it's quite a long part, so I'm not going to do that tonight, so we're just going to break it up, and we're going to go a few verses, and we'll talk about it a little bit, and we'll, we'll continue going. So 1 Thessalonians 5, and from verse 1, and this Paul speaking to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, he's talking about times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You see, he's talking about this day of the Lord idea, times and seasons. And he says, while people are saying there is peace and security, who would love to have peace and security? I would love to have peace and security. He's saying, but listen to what he's saying. He's saying, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So what is Paul talking about? He's saying, I don't have to tell you about these times and these seasons, because they already know something. And he's talking about this day of the Lord, this coming, coming of the Lord, and about it being like a thief in the night, which is not a great positive thing to look forward to, you know, about this thief that's going to come, you know, at a time when you're not, not expecting. What is he talking about? 
And what he is reminding them of, and the reason why he says, I don't have to actually tell them you about it, is because they already know it, because Jesus spoke about this all the time. He spoke about the fact that he was going to come back all the time. And if you go and read in Matthew 24, you can go and read these, these seasons that are going to happen that will tell us that Jesus is coming back. These things that we can keep our eyes open for, these things that we, are not, we won't be surprised by. And, and, and sadly, in the church, what has happened is, is that we often misinterpret what Paul is saying and what Jesus said about it. And we think that for those of us that believe Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. And it's not something that gives us hope if we think about Jesus coming like a thief in, in the night. But he draws a very clear distinction. He's talking about they, and he's talking about you. Look at it. He says, while people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So he's saying very specifically that you won't be surprised because you are not in darkness. You are in light. You are different. But are you different? Are you different when it comes to hope? Are you different in the way that people perceive you than they perceive you, those that study with you and work with you and your family? Are you different? And he goes on from verse 5, and he says, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. You see, there he draws this distinction again. He says that you guys are different. He says you are of the light. You are of the day. You're not of the darkness. You're not of the night. There's something different about you in that you, ha you have a choice. You can decide where you live. You can decide whether or not you are in the light or in the darkness, or in the day or in the night. And again, the question is, are you in the light or are you in the day or in the night? Are you living in darkness or are you living in light? Because I can tell you, and you will see as we go on, where you choose to live, and whether it's in the darkness or in the light, will determine whether or not you live with hope or not. He then goes on and it says from verse 6, he says, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. What is he talking about? I mean, what, so he's going on about light and darkness, and then he's talking about day and night, and we see there's this distinction between us and them, between you and them. But now he, he, he takes this idea a little bit further, and, and, and as Christians, as believers in Jesus, it's easy for us, right? We're in the day. We're not in the night. We're awake. We're not asleep, are we? It's easy, right? But then Paul brings in so a different idea. 
And now he talks about being sober or being drunk. Why? A person that is drunk, is he necessarily asleep? No. A drunk person can be awake. In fact, most of the drunk people you'll see in your life will be awake. What does Paul mean? He's saying that those of you who are saying you live in the light, who say you are awake, you may be drunk. And he's not talking about being drunk from alcohol. He's talking about not being clear. He's, not, he's talking about not having direction. He's talking about the fact that you may be awake, even as a believer, but you are so drunk, you are so busy with other stuff, you are so aimless, you are so faltering, you're acting so instinctively, you're being so reactive to everything that's happening around you, you're being so indecisive, you're like a drunk person, and you must be careful that although you think you are in the light, and though you think that you are awake, that you are actually like a drunk person who will be surprised by the coming of Jesus, and that you may not be ready. And he's saying that the mere fact that you and I may call ourselves Christians, that we may be nominal Christians, that you are in this church, that you may even read your Bible and every now and again, does not mean that you are actually awake. It doesn't mean that you are actually living with hope. And He's calling you to a life where you're not only awake, but that you are sober. You're watching. You're aware of what Jesus is doing and what the signs are. And then He goes on. He says from verse 8, now He's really going to just hit home on the question of hope. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober Having put on the breastplate of faith, you remember what he already commended them for, and love, you remember what he already commended them. And then he says, and for a helmet, the hope of what? The hope of salvation. So what Paul is saying is he's saying, you guys, it's not just changing your circumstances. It's not what happened to those that have died. It's not about what's going on in your life right now, which determines whether or not you have hope or not. The question is, what is your hope in? Who is your hope in? He says, and what you need to do is, is that you need to put on this helmet of salvation, the helmet that says that Jesus has saved me, and that is what I can have hope in. You see, this is the first time, the, the letter of First Thessalonians is the first letter that Paul wrote to anybody ever. So long before he wrote about the armor of God in Ephesians, he already started and the Holy Spirit already showed him this idea of having a breastplate of faith and of love and having the hope of salvation. And the helmet that you have is this helmet of hope that you have, not in anything, not in anyone 
not in any idea or a change in your circumstances or another country or another university or another job or another family or whatever the case, but your hope is in the fact that Jesus has saved you. And not only the fact that he saved you 2,000 years ago, that he saved you that day when you chose to follow him and change your life, or that the fact that he saves you every day from whatever your circumstances and whatever your challenges in life are, but that he's going to come back one day and he's going to save all of us from the destruction and the evil and the hopelessness of this world. And that is what your hope is in. What is your hope in? Who is your hope in? You say, sit here tonight and you say, but Etienne, how do I know? How do I know if I'm living a life that looks like somebody that lives with hope. And I love it because Paul becomes so practical. He starts and he, he says in verse 12, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. He goes on and he says, And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves. He's starting to show and to demonstrate and to explain and to describe what the life of someone that lives in hope, what it looks like. He goes on and he says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Saying, don't be lazy. If you see somebody that's lazy, admonish him. Encourage the faint-hearted. If you see somebody that's struggling, if you see somebody that doesn't, doesn't, you know, have hope, that's scared, that's afraid, that's, that's, that's torn down and struck down by the life that they live. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Help those that are around you. Help those that have less that you do. Help those that, whose abilities are less than yours. He says, be patient with them all. He says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek good, seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And then he goes on and, oh man, I'm so guilty about all this. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies. Test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Isn't that a beautiful picture and a description of the life of somebody that lives with hope, despite their circumstances? It doesn't matter where they are, what's going on in their life. Who would like to live a life that looks like that? Because I sure would. I sure would. But you know what happens when I read that? It actually makes me a little less hopeful a little more hopeless. Because the fact is, I've tried so much of that. I've tried, I, I try all the time to live like that. And I can tell you, I'm not very good at it. And what does that say about me? I don't know, and I, and I really trust, I really hope you guys are, are, are better at, at, and that you're able to live like that, but I find it extremely difficult. And I find it extremely difficult, particularly because of the effect that my circumstances has on me. The 
fact, this, the, the effect that my life has on me. And that in itself, this idea is not sufficient for us to be able to live lives that speak of hope, real hope in the salvation that Jesus Christ brings. Not only the fact that he died for us 2,000 years ago, or that we gave our lives to him, or that he saves us every day from our circumstances and our sin and the mess that we make, but in the fact that he comes to save us again. It doesn't help for us to only have this list of things that we must strive for and that we must work towards in trying to find hope. It just won't work. And those of us that have tried it, it doesn't work. So what is the key? And he goes on. And he says in verse 9, he says, he speaks about our destiny. He says, for God has not destined us for wrath. What if, if our destiny is not wrath, what is our destiny? Our destiny is to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks about your destiny being, our destiny being salvation, Christ. That is something. It is destiny, destination. It is something that we can look forward to, having salvation in Jesus Christ. It is when we don't only think about the past of what Jesus has done for us 2,000 years ago, the day when I gave my life to Him, today in my circumstances, but when I look forward to the destiny, to the destination where Jesus is going to come back and He's going to change our circumstances once and for all, and He's going to change us once and for all, and He's going to change everything to be as He intended it to be, but after He gave us a chance not destroying us with all the rest of the evil, but giving us a chance to follow Him of our free will, to decide to live a life with Him where we've got destiny, where we've got hope, where we've got meaning. And that is what you and I have been called for, and that's why you and I can live in hope. It's so funny how God sometimes speaks, you know, sort of through a change in our circumstances and things that happen. We're having communion tonight, and, and uh, um, earlier this week, I think Wednesday or Thursday, Zach reminded me, we're having communion, so do we want to, should I do it as part of the sermon? And someone I said to him, yeah, no, I'll, I'll do it as part of the sermon, we'll, we'll end off with, with communion. And yesterday, I was like, okay, I must remember, you know, we're having communion, you know, so what, what does God want to do with this communion? And we're going to have communion now. And, and maybe you're visiting. Maybe, maybe you've heard of communion. Maybe you don't even know what it, what it is. Um, some of us do. Many of us have done, have done it. We know exactly what it is. But what is communion? Communion is something that Jesus started. It's a Jesus idea. And if it's a Jesus idea, it's a good idea. See, when Jesus came and he, and he, he had his, 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 his followers around him, I'm going to ask you, don't you want to get ready? And then, sorry, guys, sorry. So Jesus got his followers around him, and they were up in this, in this what is called the upper room, and they were sitting there with him, the people that were the closest to him. And he had told them about the fact that something was going to happen to them, something that they didn't completely understand. And then he took the bread and he took the, 
the wine. And he said to them and he explained, this, is, this bread that I'm breaking is my body. And just like this bread that's broken, a sign of his body that would be broken for me and for you. The fact that he would have to hang on a cross where his body would be broken so that we could stay whole. And he said, take this wine. When you drink of it, think of my blood, of the blood that they had not yet seen had flown, but that would flow for us. And that would wash us clean of sin. And he said, do this as often as you can. But then as I, as I prepared, then I, I saw that in three out of the four Gospels, Jesus said this. In Matthew 26, from verse 26 to 29, he said this. He said, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it broken and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Listen to this, talking about hope and the coming of Jesus. He says in verse 29, he says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the wine until that day when I drink it new with you my Father's kingdom. What amazing day we can look forward to. And often when I, when I sit here and we're having communion, and this is what Jesus has called us to, is to say, but think of what I've done for you. Think back about the past. So there are things in the past that we can look back that gives us hope. But what are the things that we're looking back at? But then it just broke my mind and my heart when I saw that Jesus said, you know what? There's something else I have for you. You guys go on and you do it. You come together as often as you can. You break bread together. You have wine. But I'm not going to. Because you know what? I'm going to wait for you to be with me. Man, that gives me hope. So I want to invite you. There's a table out there and there's a table out there and there's a table here. So grab we're going to join each other in family and I, I want to ask you look back but also look forward to that day so you can get up and you can go to the tables and you can come back to your seats and our man is going to lead us in worship and then we'll close off hello thanks Etienne for that amazing um, word thanks enjoy the tea and coffee